Now, our reading this evening comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 19, first 29 verses of the chapter. Ryan's going to be speaking on this later on, so we look forward to that very much. Genesis chapter 19, a very well-known story of God bringing judgment upon Solomon and Gomorrah, rescuing Lot. Genesis 19, reading from verse 1, page 19 of the Pew Bibles, if you've got a Pew Bible. This is God's Word. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they'd all gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him. He said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them, but don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moving forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. And that is why 
The town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 19. Verse, uh, it's found on um, page 19 in the Pew Bibles. Let me just pray for us before we come to God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that as we look at it, that by your spirit that you would help us to understand it, that we would see more of you and that we would understand more about ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was preached in 1741, and it was a sermon that sparked a lot of controversy. It was a sermon that sparked revival. And here's a line from the sermon. The sword of divine justice is every moment brandished over their heads, and it's nothing but the hand of arbitrary mercy and God's mere will that holds it back. God's punishment is hanging over our heads and it's only his merciful hand that holds it back. Tonight in Genesis chapter 19, we're gonna see both God's necessary punishment in its severity and his rich mercy, the two together here in this passage. And how we're going to get there, we're going to first look at God's severe and necessary punishment on Sodom. And then secondly, we're going to go and look at God's rich mercy that he shows to Lot. A mercy shown to Lot and a mercy that is shown to all of us who know and believe in Jesus as their saviour. So firstly, God's severe and necessary punishment on Sodom. On Monday, Angus Sinclair died. Angus Sinclair was a notorious Scottish murderer. He was convicted of killing four people, and he was suspected of killing another four women. And on Monday, Kevin Scott, a brother of one of the victims, called him a monster, He then went on to speak about the families who had lost loved ones to murder. And Sinclair was suspected of killing these people also. And he spoke about these families and he said, they have never been afforded the kind of justice that we received. We cry out. 
for justice. It horrifies us and people are outraged when evil goes unpunished. People want evil dictators, murderers, wicked men and women to be punished. Society cries out for justice. The thought of evil going unpunished saddens us. But the truth is that God does not allow evil to go unpunished. That he brings forth justice, perfect justice. And one day he will crush all evil. He will stamp it out. God brings forth justice. He punishes evil. And here in Sodom, Sodom, justice is served. God punishes evil. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 20, we're told that the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous. And so what does God do? He sends two angels down to Sodom and they arrive in Sodom and they end up staying as guests at the house of Lot. And what happens next is wicked. Before Lot's guests go to bed in verse 4, we're told that a, a crowd of men surround the house. And in verse 5, they called out to Lot, Where are the men you came, who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Sodom was a society that it's infamous and they were known for raping visitors to their town. And so this angry mob, this lustful mob, arrive at Lot's door and they're seeking to be satisfied some short-lived pleasure at the expense of Lot's guests. No wonder the outcry against Sodom was so grievous. How could you not cry out for punishment? How could you not cry out for justice to be served? And of course, this was only one piece of evidence of a society that had rejected God. Yes, it was a society known for their homosexual relationships. It was a society known for raping visitors to their city. But it wasn't just sins of a sexual nature. It was a city that was known for its materialism, its social oppression. They had no compassion for the needy in their city. They were known for their adultery, deceitfulness of different kinds. They would have abetted criminals. It was a society that had rejected God. It was a total godless culture. And God's necessary response was to punish this society. Listen to God's judgment. Verse 24. The Lord rained down burning sulfur. Verse 25, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation of the land. The punishment of God is clearly seen as so destructive, 
was devastating. All those living in the cities and also the vegetation. And it's a necessary punishment. And it's a punishment that you and I deserve. Lot's wife was also judged. She also deserves the punishment that she received. In verse 17, Lot and his family, they're told to flee for their lives, not to look back. But what does Lot's wife do? She looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt. And this wasn't a momentary glance back. She looks back longingly towards Sodom. She looks back with warm thoughts of Sodom. She loved that culture, that lifestyle that she was provided with there. And she's turned to a pillar of salt. Lot's wife is historical proof of the words of Jesus. If you, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. If you try to keep living for yourself, if you, if you keep rejecting God, you will lose your life. You will face death and destruction. Lot's wife is the reminder. The idea of God's punishment, it's, it's not a, a topic people like to talk about. Especially when we see it in such devastating terms and, and we see it so clearly here. People fail to see that God executes just, justice thoroughly. The idea of a God who can punish that person who looks relatively good in comparison to everyone else in society, it doesn't seem fair. There's people that we know and we love and, and we know they're good people. They're nice people, aren't they? They care for others. And so the idea of a God who judges people like those who were living in Sodom, that's accepting, maybe. But you're stretching it a little bit too far. God judging people this severely, people who seem nice, it doesn't sit so easy. And God gets accused of being a monster, a maniac that delights in overly harsh punishment. But the truth is that God has to punish people who reject him and his rule. Even our decent neighbor, the kind-hearted folk that we know and love, even that religious person who will not admit their sin, but they try their very best, God's punishment is right and necessary. You see, God is holy and perfect. His standards are perfect. And when we fall short of those standards, we're committing objective wrongs. And what sort of God would God be if he didn't punish objective wrongs? He would be a God that doesn't care about right and wrong. He would be morally indifferent. He wouldn't be a perfect God. And if he allowed us to worship all our things and to center our lives around all our things, he would be admitting that he's not worthy of all of our worship. God has to punish 
He has to judge what is not right. Justice has to be served. And so when God punishes people, it's not an uncontrolled anger, but it's the right and necessary response to objective wrongs. And the punishment that he administers, it's a punishment that people bring on themselves. Each person who receives God's punishment has chosen to live a life in rejection of God and they receive what they deserve. They receive what they have chosen. And God lets them feel the full implications of their decision. And so Sodom receives what they have chosen. Lot receives what she has chosen. And so the question left to us is, what have we chosen? Are you like Lot's son-in-laws? They were warned and they wouldn't listen. They thought he was joking. They didn't believe that God would destroy their city. And they laughed. I wonder, do you mock God's judgment? Do you belittle it? Do you not really believe that it's important for you? And you won't listen to the warnings. And because you won't listen to the warnings, the punishment that you face on the day of judgment is more severe, is more unbearable than that that Sodom receives. Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that town. Jesus is speaking about towns that have heard the word of God shared but won't listen. You've heard about Sodom. You've the full canon of scripture. You've illustrations of hell. You've heard the gospel. You've sat under its preaching. You've heard many people warn you. But you won't listen to the warnings. And the day of judgment will be more unbearable for you than Sodom. Unless you flee and run to the arms of Jesus. Run to Jesus and meet him as your savior before you meet him as your judge. Sodom faced destruction because God cannot let sin go unpunished. We face destruction because we've broke God's standards and God cannot let sin go unpunished. But there's also good news in this passage. 
Whilst God has to punish sin, he's also rich in mercy. And we see that in how he deals with Lot. He rescues Lot from the destruction. He withholds his wrath from Lot. He shows him mercy. Which brings us to our second point. We've been through the unpleasantness, thinking about God's judgment. But here's the hope. God is rich in mercy. A mercy that is clearly shown as he deals with Lot. A mercy that is still shown to us today for those who believe in Christ. Let's think about God's merciful dealing with Lot. How he deals with him. Lot's been dragged away from this scene of destruction. We're told the men grasp him, leading him out of the city. And the Lord has truly been merciful to him. If we think about the desolation that was left behind, and God has brought him out of this, leading him to safety, bringing him to refuge. Not only that, consider Lot, consider his character. He's a mess He's a failing husband, father, citizen, and host. The downfall of, of Lot has been building in the book of Genesis. He starts out, out in a place with Abraham, and, and he looks to Sodom, and he ends up going and living in this city of evil. The downfall has been building. And then in verse 1 in chapter 19, we see that he's sitting in the gateway of the city. He's rose to prominence within that society. And it doesn't seem like he's using his influence for good. He's not seeking to reform that dark city. That's not what we're seeing. Instead, we're seeing a failing character. And Lot begins... He begins with good intentions. He insists that the angels would come to his home. He provides a meal for them, a place to stay, a place of refuge in a dark city. And when the lusting mob come knocking at the door, Lot, at first, he stands up for righteousness, doesn't he? In verse 7, he tells them not to do this wicked thing. But you can see for yourselves. In his next breath, he does, he does something which is truly horrific. And in that moment, we lose any ounce of respect that we could have for Lot. He offers up his daughter to a lusting mob that longs for brutal and cheap, short-lived satisfaction at the expense of another. And in that moment, we just don't know what he's doing. We think to ourselves, how could he? How pathetic is he? It's awful. But part of me also wonders what, what would we do ourselves? What would we have done to save our own skin as we were faced with a violent mob from the people in Sodom? 
I dread to think. But thankfully here, in this picture, the angels reach out, the men, they pull him back into the house. The men at the door are struck with blindness. Lots guests save him. And now they warn him to flee from the city because the Lord is going to destroy Sodom. In verse 15, the angels urge Lot to leave or he will be swept away. And we think, of course he's going to leave quick. He's going to get out of there. But oh no, not Lot. And what does he do in verse 16? He hesitates. And once again, we're left thinking, Lot, what are you doing? What are you playing at? And by God's mercy, he's dragged out. Him and his family escape the city. And of course, Lot has to do something else. Foolish, doesn't he? They're fleeing from the city. And what does Lot do now in verses 19 to 20? We're told that he pleads to go to a small town. He doesn't believe that God can get him out of the plain to the mountains to safety. The plain is where God is going to destroy. And he doesn't believe that God can get him to safety. And so Lot irrationally pleads to, to go to a small town, a small town that is actually closer to Sodom, closer to the destruction Some commentators write that this small town was a mini Sodom. And we're thinking to ourselves, what is he doing? This man is a mess. He fails to believe and trust God for refuge. And now he wants to go and play with sin. He wants part of his old life. And part of us just thinks, God, strike this man down. Be done with them. If we're really honest, that's what part of us thinks. But then, a huge part of us surely has to see that we're a lot. Can we not see ourselves in the character of Lot, wanting to play with sin just a little and indulge just a little, no harm? Maybe we're actually worse than Lot in some ways. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. They speak of Lot being distressed by the sensual conduct of Sodom. His righteous soul was tormented by the culture. Tormented by the culture. He was truly a righteous man that was troubled by the darkness of the city that he lived in. Yes, he was conflicted. He was compromised. He was weak. He was failing. But we're told that he, he, was, con- that he was tortured by the godless culture that he lived in. I wonder, are we really worn down and tortured by a godless culture? We watch the same movies, we listen to the same music, we entertain ourselves on the immorality around us. 
we see and hear some of the same things that Lot witnessed and we don't bat an eyelid. And we see the things that happen out there as things that happen out there and they truly do not break our hearts and we're not worn down and tortured by the godless culture that we live in. Lot was a mess. He was a wretched sinner, but at least he felt something. He was righteous. A righteousness not based on his actions, but just like Abraham, he was right with God by faith. Lot was right with God by faith. And the evidence of his righteous soul is in the fact that he was tormented by evil. Lot was ultimately shown undeserved mercy because of his faith that had made him right with God. A faith that meant even when he messed up and he looked to be failing, God would show him mercy. Doesn't that sound like us? And the scene in Genesis 19, it closes in verse 29, where the biblical writer tells us that God brings Lot out of Sodom because he has remembered Abraham. In Genesis 18, Abraham has been pleading. He's been interceding for Sodom. He's asking God that he would do right and that he would save the righteous, that the righteous would not perish with the wicked. And when God rescues Lot from Sodom, he answers that prayer. Isn't that encouragement for us as we pray for our loved ones? that God hears our prayers and that they actually matter, that our prayers can be that significant. We need to be praying for our family members, our friends, our work colleagues, the people who live in this community who face the judgment of God, that God would show them an undeserved mercy, that he would hold back from him them the severity of his punishment. The Lord is pleased to use our prayers as he redeems people. We can never pray too long or too hard. So where have we got to? Genesis 19, we've seen God's judgment. God inflicts unnecessary and severe punishment for their evil. He shows mercy to failing Lot. And God still judges in the same way today. He judges perfectly, punishing evil and lovingly showing mercy to others. The job of a judge is to execute justice, to punish wrongdoing, for a judge to overlook And let someone walk through who's broken the law. That would be unjust. It wouldn't be fair. The crime would not be punished for. God is our judge. And his justice system is not like any justice system of this land. Because he does let people walk through who've broken the law. 
but justice is still served. Perfect justice is still served. The wrongs are still paid for because Jesus takes the punishment on himself so that God can show mercy but yet still punish evil, still punish the objective wrong, still punish our sin. Lot did a lot of wrong things. He failed as a father. He was convicted and compromised. But God is merciful. He's patient with Lot. He didn't strike him down. Doesn't that give us hope? We deserve the destruction that Sodom faced. We're conflicted and compromised like Lot. We're prone to wander. But God is merciful. He shows mercy to those who know Jesus. In Genesis 19, we've seen God's justice, his punishment of evil, and his mercy to whom he chooses. Even pathetic people like Lot but the fullest expression of God's judgment and mercy is found at the cross. Where God's necessary and severe punishment is placed on Jesus. Where mercy in its extravagance is experienced by those who believe in him. God treats Jesus as though he has lived our life and he treats us as though we've lived his. Justice is served perfectly at the cross. The punishment is carried out and God shows mercy to his people. God's necessary punishment in its severity and his mercy in its richness is seen in Genesis 19 and it's fully expressed at the cross. Let us pray. Father, we know that you are a holy and perfect God that we can find no fault in you. And we recognize that we are imperfect people, people who are conflicted and so prone to wander, so easily influenced by our culture, so easily led astray. But we thank you that you show undeserved mercy. We thank you that you treated Jesus as though he had lived our life and treats us as though we have lived his. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.